with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com On air, online, on your smartphone and on your smart speaker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. to the local edition news and information to keep you connecting the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you for joining me here on a Monday evening. What we do on Mondays, we do our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. Managing Editor Joseph Abraham will be joining us in the second half of the program. Also have an update on the latest on one of the hottest issues in New York State, bail reform. Report from Senior Albany Correspondent Karen DeWitt coming up. But first, on a Monday, we'd like to start off by checking in with Sullivan County Government, see what's happening in the county. And tonight, we've got uh, we've got Sullivan County Communications Director Dan Hoos joining us to give us the latest on what's happening with the Office for the Aging, tax season, and even a little bit of Black History as we head into Black History Month. Dan, thank you for joining us again. Oh, hold on one moment. There you go. Dan, thank you for joining us again. Oh, glad to be here as always. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you're actually here. I didn't have you for a second. And oh, okay. Now I hit the right button. <laughs> it's Monday. We're here. Um, <laughs> so there's a number of things that are coming up. I can't believe it's already the end of January. Um, uh, Black History Month starts in just a couple days. Also, it's uh, we're heading into tax season. People already, you know, got their returns if that's what they receive in the mail. So um, some people need help, and I hear you have news on where help may be found in preparing taxes. Yeah, this is a great service that uh, our RSVP and. Cornell Cooperative Extension have offered through uh, AARP, actually, for many years. Um, and uh, anyone can take advantage of it if they earn less than a, a certain level of income. Um, that that seems to be a little nebulous. I asked about that today, exactly what level of income uh, uh, would be too much, but they basically left it as, just give us a call and we'll work it out. As long as it's not a complex tax return, it's not with some sort of business, uh, or you're already otherwise able to afford your own tax preparer. Uh, if if those things aren't checkmarked, then you should be eligible for this. And it's a wonderful service for people who really would struggle otherwise to afford tax preparation. And I don't know about you, but I'm lousy at doing it at home. Uh, those uh, online software packages, I end up confusing myself and then worrying that one day the IRS is going to come knocking at my door. So uh, yeah. these are trained volunteers, people who uh, have done this either for a living in the past or have been thoroughly trained to do it now and are very happy to offer their services free of charge. And our website lists uh, a number of different locations. It doesn't have to just be in Monticello, although it is available there uh, at the uh, Crawford Library but also Cornell Cooperative Extension in Liberty, the Liberty Public Library, 
the Manicating Library in Wurtsboro, and the Sunshine Hall Free Library down in Eldred. Okay, and you know, you see, you you're not good at doing it at home, uh, and I say I'm not good at doing it anywhere. Uh, uh, you know, would would <laughs> not agree. could not in a house. You know, would not could not even with a with a approved CPA mouse. Um, but what what about uh, something that you hear sometimes? Like you know, there's there's private companies that offer tax services. They give special rates, and when you look at the fine print, sometimes you see it's only for uh, some of the most basic filings. Is there any kind of like you were talking about not really knowing where the cap is in terms of income? Was there any indication? Is there's a, any kind of uh, a cap in terms of complexity of one's tax return? Well, typically what they found, and I got this straight from the folks who do this, is the people who would have the more complex tax returns are the ones who their income would be too high anyway to uh, qualify for this program. And they already have somebody probably who is doing their taxes for them. The vast majority of people who are going to be seeking out these kinds of services are folks who would have simpler uh, tax preparation to, to do, simpler budgets. Uh, but really, if you're not sure about it, give them a phone call. There's a number of uh, a number of phone numbers, actually, that we have listed. It's specific to each location, so I'm not going to run through them at this point. But uh, Cornell and the libraries, you just call them directly and let them know your situation, and then they'll see what they can do for you. At the very least, it's worth a phone call. And who knows? Sometimes you find out you may not be eligible for one thing, but you're eligible for something you didn't even know about before. So it's worth a call. Okay. And listeners, so you know what I'm looking at, what you might encounter if you try to embark on a similar journey. I went to Sullivan County's website, which is SullivanNY.us. I don't have to scroll far. I scroll down, I see the county news, and uh, I see the second news item there is free tax prep available, and that'll be your link to get uh, that additional information that Dan was talking about. That uh, Dan, above that news item, I see the next thing I was going to ask you about, um, an update from the Office for the Aging. Yes which actually our RSVP office, our Retired Senior Volunteer Program, which is participating in this tax prep program, is a part of. Office for the Aging is getting a uh, long-awaited expansion. They're basically doubling their office space in size at the Government Center in Monticello. That's thanks to the Veteran Service Agency, which was their next-door neighbor, moving across the lobby themselves to a, a much better and more expanded space that they uh, took up in our Real Property Tax Services office. So our office for the aging starting next Monday, February 6th, the week from today, will be shutting down to in-person visits uh, except by appointment only, and even those will probably be in some location other than that specific office. It'll still be in the government center, but that office space will be undergoing quite a bit of renovation and moving of walls and desks and tables and chairs and just not a place conducive to having a quiet, confidential meeting, the kind that the office has basically every weekday. Uh, thankfully, it'll only take about two months, give or take, and then people will have a wonderful location to come visit our staff. Our staff will have a great location to work in, much more room. Right now, to have a private conversation in the office for the aging is a little difficult because it's cubicles rather than really office space. There's a few spots you can go into and close the door, but now we'll have that available for all the staff that need it so that people can have a much better experience. But for the moment, we ask people to be patient. 
and make sure that they call ahead for an appointment. Frankly, I do that even this week because they've already started the moving out process and it's just a, a very, very busy place at a lot of files moving around different locations. So if you can, please give a call to the Office for the Aging. Uh, that's 807-0241, 807-0241 before you come so that they can be sure to help you wherever they're going to be able to help you in the next few weeks. All right. Well, thanks for clarifying that. When I saw that headline, uh, Office for Aging by Appointment Only, I, I thought that was like uh, moving on into the future. That's the way it is now. But no, this nope. is specifically because of the move and refurbishment. So uh, that's good to know. Thank you for letting us know that. Yeah, it's, it's not permanent. It'll be, of course, you can always set up an appointment if you want to. They'll be happy to set that up. But in a couple of months, we'll be back to just taking folks who want to walk in when they have a convenient moment to ask a question. We'll be happy to deal with them then. But prior to then, please call for an appointment. All right. And like I said, we're on the we're on the eve of Black History Month here. It's I can't believe it's already the end of January. And I, I heard uh, that you've got a little a tidbit of, of uh, black history involving uh, some some uh, Motown music from Marvin Gaye. What, what's this about? Yeah, this is fascinating to me. I'm a fan of local history. Uh, I've dug through many a newspaper record or books to find out all sorts of interesting pieces of trivia. And there's very few things with Sullivan County that you could tell me that I haven't heard someplace or another. But this one I had never heard before, which, according to Mickey Barnett, who is an accomplished uh, uh, musician and artist in his own right uh, from here in Sullivan County, um, is going to relate a story about how one of the most famous and iconic soul songs in American history came to be written in Bessel, New York. It was recorded in 1970 by Marvin Gaye. Most of us know it. I'm not going to sing it, but I will say the title. It's Let's Get It On. And it was the biggest Motown hit of that time. It sold over 2 million copies within just the first six weeks of its release. Everyone's heard this at one point or another. And according to Mickey, and he will tell this story in more detail than I'm right now, this was written, this was composed right here in Sullivan County. And if so, that would put it up there with White Christmas, which is also one that is, uh, according to legend, uh, was written here in Sullivan County. Irving Berlin had a home north of Roscoe um, that will have two very memorable songs that were written here in Sullivan County. But on top of that, They'll actually also have music that they're playing. I don't know if they'll play Let's Get It On, but Little Sparrow <laughs> right. uh, will, uh, be, will be there with uh, several very, very talented musicians uh, to give a concert. It starts at 2 p.m. on February 11th uh, at our county museum in Hurleyville. But also, since it's part of the Frederick Cook Society's program there, they're going to talk about two of the greatest black explorers in American history. Matthew Henson, who lived in the early part of the 20th century, uh, and Barbara Hillary, uh, who has actually visited the museum not too long ago. Both are very accomplished explorers. Uh, Barbara Hillary, in particular, ha went to the Arctic. Um, she's also an American nurse, publisher, adventurer, uh, inspirational speaker, um, and uh, like I said, she visited the museum. They have photos of her having been there, 
and they'll have plenty of information to share about these two African-American uh, legends of their time, really. Uh, it'll be very interesting just in, the, in that part alone, let alone not to mention with uh, the history of Let's Get It On. So it'll be really interesting. I encourage everyone to show up for this. Uh, admission is free. They take donations there, but um, you can just walk right in. And you'll be within the museum, the County Museum in Hurleyville, which itself is an interesting place to visit. Yeah, yeah, always good stuff there. And uh, again, I'm sorry, this is this coming weekend? It'll be February 11th. Oh, February 11th, okay. 2 p.m. February 11th at 2 p.m. So not this Saturday, but next Saturday, and uh, that's great. Uh It's good local uh, history for Black History Month. Barbara Hillary, I just looked it up quick uh, online, said the first known African-American woman to reach the North Pole. So that's pretty cool, especially given that there is a Frederick Cook Society also uh, centering around the Historical Society. So this is good information. and And for people who don't know who Frederick Cook was, he was born in Hortonville, and is one of those to uh, to lay the claim to have explored the first explorer of the North Pole. And there is controversy about that, which I'll let people look up and read about. But the Frederick Cook Society is based in the County Museum in Hurleyville and perpetuates his memory and his accomplishments and uh, his uh, exploits, really. They, have, they found a fascinating trove of undeveloped negatives in the County Museum basement from his Arctic explorations, and they develop those, and they have them hanging on the wall. So yeah. all in all, this day will be will be a great lead up to Super Bowl Sunday because <laughs> we made sure that we weren't going to compete with that. <laughs> no, no. In fact, it becomes part of that weekend's festivities. People can slot it right in. Yep. That's good planning here in Sullivan County. Dan, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Anything else you need to let folks know? I just wanted to uh, put a little mention out there. We were sad to note today that our airport administrator, Jim Arnott, passed away from cancer on Friday. And we just wanted to send our condolences to the family. Jim was uh, well-known throughout the county because of his passion for the airport. He was a Wurtsboro native. He was a business person, an author, a pilot, all before he joined us in 2017. But when he came on board as the superintendent of the county airport over in White Lake, he dove into that with all the passion that he had given all his other projects. And the airport has come a long way just in the past five years. And in many ways, that's thanks to him. And we just want to send our condolences to those who knew and loved him. We will miss him dearly. Well, thanks for that remembrance there. Uh, just a reminder to folks that the phone number for the Office for the Aging in Sullivan County to make your appointments, as you need to do for the time being, is 845-807-0241. That's 807-0241. And all the info for everything we've been talking about can be found at the Sullivan County website, which is SullivanNY.us. Dan Hoos, Sullivan County Communications Director, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Oh, thank you for asking me about things I love to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thank you. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This is a local edition. We're going to keep rolling right along here. In a moment, we'll be checking in live with Joe Abraham, get the latest news and a weekly news roundup from the Sullivan County Democrat. But first, let's check in with what's happening in Albany. A joint hearing by the New York State Legislature attempted to get to the truth 
of how the state's controversial 2019 bail reform laws have affected the state's crime rate. But those who testified, including the state's top criminal justice agency, revealed gaps in the way the data is collected that make it difficult to reach conclusions. Karen DeWitt has more. Debate around the bail reform laws and other criminal justice changes enacted in the past few years by the Democratic-led state legislature and Democratic governors has become politically polarized, with Republicans saying the changes have led to a crime spike and the law should be rescinded. Democrats have said they need more data before making any major decisions about the laws. Senate Judiciary Chair Brad Hoylman-Siegel says the public has been bombarded with media campaigns that are based on fear-mongering. He quoted the late U.S. Senator from New York, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, saying the time has come to try to get accurate information. The past uh, elected official once said everyone from New York once said everyone is entitled to their opinions, but not their own facts. And I hope we can uh, dig uh, down into the data today. Assembly Codes Committee Chair Jeffrey Dinowitz says what data has become available has been manipulated for political purposes. We've seen people point to the same sets of numbers and draw completely different conclusions. But it quickly became apparent that there are flaws in the data that is available from state agencies who collect those numbers. The head of the state's Division of Criminal Justice Services, Rosanna Rosado, began her testimony saying that New Yorkers have less to fear from crime than any other state. I want to highlight that New York remains the safest large state in the country and incarcerates the fewest people according to the most recent national statistics. But under questioning from lawmakers, Rosado and her aides conceded that the federal government has not put out any comprehensive data comparing state-to-state crime rates since before 2020. The agency, known by its acronym DCJS, also collects data on arrest records and whether a defendant appears for a court date. They say there don't seem to be any differences since bail reform changes and that there are even some improvements when comparing court appearance rates between 2019 and 2021. Assembly Judiciary Chair Charles Levine asked Rosado about those numbers. It appears, based on what we know, that... The statistics for those who are released with bail or with conditions and those who are released without bail and without conditions or released on their own recognizance remain stable. Is that correct? Based on the data, yes. But the officials answering questions from other lawmakers say the agency does not count in those statistics people accused of crimes who do not show up for what's known as desk appearances. Those are issued for misdemeanors and some felony charges. The agency only begins counting after someone has come back on the required date and has been fingerprinted. DCJS officials testified that not all law enforcement agencies report their statistics to the agency, even though they're required by state statute to do so. Just days after the video was released showing Tyree Nichols being beaten by Memphis police, some lawmakers asked about statistics for the number of New Yorkers who died while being arrested. They were told by Rosado that the NYPD has not yet submitted those numbers to the agency. And Rosado says even when the agency gets those numbers, they are not broken down to show whether someone died while being arrested, only that they died while in police custody. 
The hearing comes as Governor Kathy Hochul is preparing to release her state budget plan. It will include more revisions to the state's bail reform laws, which have already been altered twice since the law took effect. Hochul wants to give judges more discretion to set bail in cases where people are charged with serious crimes. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thanks to Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. And also a reminder that, yes, Governor uh, Kathy Hochul is rolling out her budget on Wednesday. That'll be happening at noon. We will have live special coverage coming from WXXI that we will bring to you right here on Radio Catskill as we continue to keep an eye on everything that's happening in our listening area and, uh, of course, the capitals that rule it (laughs) or at least oversee it or represent us. before I say anything else off script, let's get back on script and welcome Joe Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat for our weekly news roundup from the Sullivan County Democrat. Welcome back to the program, Joe. Oh, hey. Um, hope everyone's having a lovely evening out there, and um, it's always good to go off script sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to find my way back because now, now I get to just ask questions again. And I know there's a few stories you're looking at. We're going to try to get in here. Um there was a there, Coles has a large distribution center on 209 in Mamacating. Um, is is that still in operation? And where do things stand with that right now? Yeah, so it's in operation um, right now. The town board is sort of um, engaged with Coles, uh, who had a 20 year payment in lieu of tax agreement with the IDA, which recently expired. Uh, which means it's back on the tax rolls, and uh, Coles has, I guess, reached out to try to get their uh, I believe it's their assessment cut in half because currently it's around $12 million for the property and trying to get it down to six. So the town hired an attorney who uh, had encouraged them to get an appraisal on the property, which with court fees and the cost would be $14,000 plus court fees. Uh, and um, they uh, were recommended by the, their lawyer to also um, maybe approach the Ellenville Central School District uh, who also gets taxes from the distribution center. Because just a reminder out there, the town of Mamikating is split between four different school districts, uh, one of which is Ellenville. Um, and since that property falls within that school district area, um, you know, they, they figured, you know, reach out, see if they'll help with some of the costs for that appraisal. Because if, you know, Coles does pay the full taxes, um, you know, the town will be looking to get another $254,000 or so. So, um, so that's something that they're going to try to resolve, I guess, going forward. Coles obviously would like to, uh, like I said, have lower taxes now that the pilot payment is over. And the town is, um, or as one town board member stated, you know, they had a 20-year pilot. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see where this where this goes. But uh, it's not uncommon um, in between towns and, uh, you know, big businesses such as this. So. All right. And... I know that there was uh, recently uh, an analysis of Roscoe Central School District in the northern part of Sullivan County, and they found that the district is having moderate fiscal stress. I was wondering if you could tell us, uh, you know, how did this report come about and, and what, what does this mean? Sure. So the New York State Comptroller, uh, Tom DiNapoli, uh, his office routinely audits school districts, government agencies. Um, you know, it's like uh, they love math pretty much, um, unlike myself, who is in humanities. But the um, but they do this on a regular basis uh, to, um, you know, schools are given a fiscal stress score based on several factors, year and fund balance, operating deficits, 
and surpluses, cash position, and reliance on short-term debt for cash flow. And uh, there's sort of this point system that's, um, that, that the comptroller has. And the lowest level of fiscal stress is susceptible to fiscal stress. Moderate is sort of the middle. And um, significant fiscal stress uh, means, you know, they see some very big issues there. So in this case, with the moderate fiscal stress, uh, I had a chat with uh, the shared superintendent for the Roscoe Manor and Downsville uh, School Districts, um, John Evans. And um, so pretty much um, you get points based on certain factors. And at the time of the most recent district audits, audit, the uh, fund balance for uh, for Roscoe was 0.99%. And the rule is that if your fund balance is less than 1%, you are assigned 25 points. There's 25 points right there. And uh, the superintendent had said that the district experienced a substantial increase in the number of students needing special education service and out-of-district placements, and the unanticipated increase in the cost required them to use some of their fund balance to cover that cost. Uh, you can also get 20 points towards this score that determines how much fiscal stress you have um, involving your cash position. And once again, having to use a substantial amount of their fund balance to offset the increase in special education costs, reduce the amount of cash on hand that they had at the end of the school year. So those two things resulted in 45 points of the district's 51.7, which was the official amount of points that they received, um, were uh, sort of the big factors there. And, um, you know, Superintendent Evans said they're pretty much monitoring spending in all areas and it implemented a spending freeze on all non-essential items, non-essential items and services. So that's sort of where Roscoe stands. These are pretty routine things. Having a moderate fiscal stress score certainly doesn't mean that, um, you know, the district is doomed or anything of, of that nature. It's just that, you know, something they just have to deal with and watch. So, You know, it's worth noting that, that Roscoe Central is a small school. It's even smaller than a lot of the surrounding small school districts. And uh, one could imagine that it doesn't take much of a change in a category like, you know, students needing special ed services to to really change uh, the numbers for their budget. That said, it's a small school that also recently um, chose essentially not to merge with the neighboring small school in Livingston Manor. Is that right? Yes, yeah, somewhat. So Manor and Roscoe, uh, the, the school boards, and I believe it, the administration, um, like I said, they already share a superintendent, um, you know, Manor, Downsville, Roscoe, um, even though they're independent districts. And so the uh, the bo- school boards both wanted a merger, but the community, when it came to the community vote, um, as of the past, voted it down. So essentially, it's the surrounding community that was uh, against that. But you know, listen, their sports are already primarily merged amongst the schools, um, so there are arguments to be yeah, made. Yeah, there's, there's but, a number know, of shared services, a, and they got the same superintendent, as you said, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, there's just a thing with locally, um, with the communities of the identity, right, Blue Devils, Wildcats, and, and that sort of thing that develops in the community that just hasn't, um, you know, also there's some rumors that it started or concerns people had about, um you know, people losing jobs or whatnot, even though the position, the official position, I believe, of the, um, you know, in the merger discussion was that, you know, they wouldn't get rid of jobs. It would just be something that would happen over time as, you know, people retired and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so that's essentially where, where they're at. But um, they seem to have a plan in place. 
Roscoe does for for addressing these, um, you know, right. uh, anticipated or these unanticipated increased costs. And you know, who knows if that topic of merging will ever pop up again. And uh, we have just a minute left, and in the final minute uh, that I had with Dan Hoos before he took the time to to uh, note a recent passing, and I understand that you you have a notable passing of a Calicoon native and local nun uh, to mention quick. Yeah, real quick. Sister Kevin John uh, Shields, um, who uh, came to Sullivan County in the 60s, uh, was very big in the Catholic community locally, um, the Archdiocese of New York, etc., very involved in different organizations. I recently had a fall uh, and unfortunately passed away afterwards because of the injuries and I had such a significant impact. She's been honored by the legislature and such. And the other notable passing was Annabelle Rosenberger Haublinger, which Fred has written about on several occasions, our our publisher. She was 48 days shy of her 114th birthday and uh, she was the fourth oldest person living in the U.S and ninth oldest worldwide, even though she was in Colorado, she was a Calicoon native. So, Wow. So wow. both very powerful women who had great impacts um, and who will be missed, uh, and we have uh, articles on that in tomorrow's paper. Okay, and the next edition of the South County Democrat is out tomorrow. Uh, we've been talking to Managing Editor Joe Abraham. Joe, thanks again for joining us on a Monday evening. Well, see you next week. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for the local edition. And we will be back tomorrow night to do it all over again. You want to stay tuned? Coming up in just a moment, it's a Laura Flanders show kicking off our great Monday night lineup of political news and talk programming. We got this way out 51% and a lot more coming up next. Quick look at the weather before we go. Uh, A chance of snow showers on the early end becoming steadier snow overnight with a low of 23 tonight. So there's a 70% chance of snow starting this evening and becoming steady in the overnight. What's it look like tomorrow? Um, sunny but cool. Sunshine and clouds mixed together. High only getting up to 26 tomorrow. And uh, partly cloudy tomorrow night and much cooler overnight low down to 14. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233H. Mon-